I write because I need to express kind of what I think is divine creativity. And I think that's what the divine spirit does. It creates. It also destroys. I mean, right? It's nature. It's there's it's everything it's everything in the mix, but creativity, creating, you know, the creation story, it it that is what the divine does. The divine creates. Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks, faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates, getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. Hello, Seekers. Today, my conversation is with Amy Penne, a writer and professor of English at Parkland College. She's a true lover of books, as is her husband, Brian, who's a school librarian. She also has two grown sons who are brilliant musicians, writers, and thinkers, but most importantly, they are compassionate young men. She and her family live in a 100-year-old arts and crafts home in Tuscola, a small town 30 miles south of Champaign, along with two dogs and two cats, and she's also known as the lady who feeds all the birds in town. I consider Amy a true modern contemplative who combines the deep truths from Christianity and Catholicism with a practice of compassion and creativity. She talks about her thoughts and musings around the intersections of creative poetry, writing, and life in her blog called The Pensive Penne. Amy's essays, reviews, and poems have been included in the Tupelo Quarterly, Minerva Rising, Brainchild, among others, and she has a new essay forthcoming in an anthology from the Midwest Writing Center. You're really just going to enjoy listening in on our conversation about creativity as a spiritual practice, because for Amy, when creativity is combined with meditation and the practice of the mindful pause, it can be a powerful tool to practice kindness and compassion that shows up at home, in her work, and in just so many parts of her life. You're recording actually from your house in Tuscola, and you were telling me a little bit about it, but share with our listeners, kind of paint the picture. (laughs) Oh, this house. Oh, I love it. We live in an old arts and crafts home. We believe built in 1921, so it's 100 years old. We will honor its centenary anniversary this year. It is, it is one of the four square homes. I think people know kind of what those are. So, you know, literally, literally a rectangle, but it's got a beautiful wraparound porch, <laughs> all the original woodwork, the original flooring, beautiful tongue and groove flooring, dark woodwork, oh. um, and, and 48 very drafty windows, <laughs> most of them original to the house. <laughs> and the insulation, literally, this is true story, the insulation upstairs in the attic, there are newspapers over old insulation and the newspapers are from like 1938. So, Oh my goodness. We know for so sure. it's kind of like a little time capsule. 
Yeah. <laughs> and what is. a great space to be creative and to inspire you and just to cozy up in a in a nook and write and read. I can just picture it. <laughs> yeah. I'm lucky we have <laughs> but we have two, you know, four bedrooms and so one of the rooms is an actual reading room study and then downstairs I'm fortunate oh. enough to have a little tiny space for creativity. How nice. Art oh, and, and like I that, just picture so, yeah. that would be a great little like library and oh man. But you're originally from the south and yes. you've been here what 30 years now? Is that what it is? Uh yeah, a little over 30 years. I moved here in 1989 to go to graduate school at the U of I. Wow, time flies, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me your story about your journey, about how you got here and how you landed here. Yeah. So, you know, kind of typical story in terms of the last part, you know, came here to the University of Illinois for graduate school for my MA and PhD in English and married, you know, my husband and married him. We had kids settled down here on the prairie and we love it. But yeah, I grew up in uh, in Georgia originally, born in, in very far south Georgia in Valdosta, but then kind of grew up in early part of my life in Atlanta, but then uh, went out to Colorado for high school, uh, just some parent parental moves, and then college for North Carolina, at college in North Carolina, at UNC Charlotte, go Niners, and um, you know, then, then came here mm. for graduate school. So a really typical story, I've never had a break from school. I have gone straight from elementary school to middle school to high school to college to graduate school no gap year no gap moment i never wanted to do anything but be an educator <laughs> wow and then yeah. you went right into teaching after you got after you got your phd yep right into it got my phd uh, worked as an adjunct at the u of i for a bit and then uh, got the job at parkland when one opened up wow and you still do a lot of even though you're a professor and you do some things with technology and professional development, which I know has been kind of new to you during during COVID, right? Yeah. What I mostly do with technology is fail. But I did happen to <laughs> wind up having to be the director of instructional technology at the very moment when instructional technology was going to become the centerpiece <laughs> of our tools. So yes, I had to learn a lot very quickly. And thankfully, we have a lot of talent at That's Parkland. That's a God moment. That's a God moment. But we have a lot of talent at Parkland. And so I've been able to ride the wave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then in your free time, you still do write and you publish and, and are creative. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, I do try to make a lot of free time as much as possible. But yeah, I started really taking writing more seriously as a part of my kind of trying to get published. I've always been a writer. I've always journaled. I've always kept notes. I've always been a researcher. That's why I went into this profession was for the research. I love reading and writing about what I've read. So I've always done that since I was little. But then I started wanting to take writing more seriously Actually, I had a big writing project at Parkland. It was our 2012 self-study. All schools have to be accredited, and you do a big study of your own institution, and I, I helped write that in, in 2012. And after that, I thought, you know what I really want to do is use the discipline I've learned here and the discipline I had gotten when I wrote a dissertation at the U of I, but I want to use that discipline and put it towards more creative output, more poetry, more creative nonfiction. 
I'm not really much of a fiction writer, though I do like short fiction. But yeah, I've had, and then I, I really focused on that uh, during a sabbatical at Parkland. So thank you, Parkland and, and other institutions that have sabbaticals, because I was determined to be a writing teacher who writes. I don't just want to be a writing teacher who grades papers. I want to be a writing teacher who writes along with my students all the time and face all the same empty pages and creative blah days. So, and then I, I got serious about it and started, yeah, I started sending things out and, and started having a little luck getting things published in some literary magazines and, and places like that. And off I went. Oh, that's awesome. So talk with me a little bit about your faith and spirituality growing up and how that has evolved for you over the years. Yeah. So I grew up, my parents didn't go to church, so I didn't really grow up in a church house at all. My grandmother, my maternal grandmother was big Wednesday night and Sunday morning Bible study, but I didn't see her that much. So I, I only experienced that when I went to see my grandmother uh, in the summers or on vacation. So but there was this moment in uh, when I was in second grade, I saw an advertisement for Vacation Bible School on TV. It's one of the local Baptist churches. I grew up in the South. There's, <laughs> there's only local Baptist churches, at least then. Yeah, one on every corner, probably. Yes, uh-huh. one on every corner, yes. Some, some Methodist churches, but really a lot of Baptist churches. So I wanted to go to Vacation Bible School because they advertised. This is very ironic, or maybe not ironic, probably a God thing. Because I saw that they did crafts and I wanted to go do crafts. I wanted to make things. I wanted to paint. I wanted to draw. I wanted to make the little string art thing, you know, the fish. So, so that's actually what drew me in was Uh the art. Felt banners. (laughs) Yes. Felt banners. I still make felt banners. I love (laughs) felt banners. (laughs) I think they're beautiful. So yeah. So it was kind of arts and crafts, but I just sort of saw it on TV and I told my mom, Hey, take me to church because I want to go do this. And then I got hooked on the Bible as a story. And who doesn't, right? I mean, the stories in that thing, oh my gosh, right? They're brilliant. So that's kind of what got me hooked originally. And I just, I'm an only child. So it was just an, it's just a thing that I did. And then my mom started dropping me off at church and, and I kind of was a church person after that for many, many years. So it's interesting that you got into it through creativity how is creativity showing up and intersecting with your faith and spirituality now? Yeah, they're, they're so linked. I don't, there's probably not a distinction between them. I, I write because I need to express kind of what I think is divine creativity. And I think that's what the divine spirit does. It creates it also destroys. I mean, right? It's nature. It's there's it's everything it's everything in the mix, but creativity, creating, you know, the creation story, that is what the divine does. The divine creates. It's constantly birthing ideas and art and thoughts and music and people and nature. That's that is the primary activity of creation and the divine, which I think are essentially one. So yes, I just don't even see a Mm-mm. distinction between them. Yeah. Oh, I really like that. And I think you made a, you said something about 
destruction is also part of creation. And yeah. to me, it's an ever moving circle. I mean, you have to almost have that destruction in order to make room for more creativity. And we can't yeah. just fill up the room with all the things that we create. No. Things have to, things have to wither and die in order to produce more material for the next creation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like, you know, when forest fires, forest fires are tragic and certainly more so when they're, when they're caused by humans, but forests need to burn farmland, right? Needs, you need to burn. You, so there is a time, you know, it's Ecclesiastes. There's a time to create and a time <laughs> to destroy, right? So it's, it is all part of the cycle. Um, and amen on the, you can't just create and keep stuff in your house. Cause I, I, I have a big attic and a big basement and a, and a lot of crappy art sitting around in it. So I, I do hate over it. You have to. Yeah. Reuse those canvases. Gotta reuse canvases. They're expensive. Uh, they are expensive. So how else do you create? I mean, what are some things in, in addition to your writing and felt banners, of course, what other things do you, do you love to create? This is more recent, but I am definitely got on the art journaling bandwagon. So my own journaling now is just a giant mix of painting and not so much drawing because man, I can't even draw stick figures, but you know, mm, tracings and yeah, I just stink, but I collect and I learn that, you know, from Picasso and from Warhol and from all of these other, you know, wonderful artists that collage works to Matisse collage works so I can paint things and paint over them and cut and paste. So my art journal is really the centerpiece in some ways because it combines my writing. I can throw any crappy art that I do during the day that just, is a thing I could doodle somewhere. And then I save that and I'll put it in my art journal and I might write something about it. I might paint over it. Who knows? But that's become the centerpiece of both my creativity and my practice. It's, it's all one thing and it can be more meditative sometimes too, but I do meditation separately. I do try to, to meditate every day, at least 10 to 20 minutes. 20 is my goal. Uh, sometimes it's just 10 so I do have a daily practice of, of writing slash art journaling. Sometimes it's a mix and, and meditation practice too, so that I can um, get centered, which is not easy in a, in a house full of dogs and cats and boys and, and husbands and stuff. But we're fortunate to, to have this big old house and you can find a corner to sit quietly. So that's nice. Yeah. And if somebody wanted, I, I think, like you said, art journaling is kind of a thing right now. I've seen it in a lot of different places. But I know for me, because I can't draw, I used to have a hang up about, well, I'm not creative. And I got over that myself. But I know a lot of people have that hang up and feel that because they may not create something that looks a certain way, or it they're not drawing a, a, a car or a person or a horse or a house better than a fifth grader. They don't feel comfortable being 
in a creative space. So how would one get started doing art journaling if they don't feel like they're creative or they're scared? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I, when I say I can't draw, I mean, I think you and I have talked about this. I really can't draw. I mean, I can't draw a wheel. I, I just, I can't draw anything. <laughs> I really can't. But, you must be great at Pictionary. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, no, it's a joke. If it's not Hangman, I can't draw it. I can draw Hangman. That's about it. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, I, I had to just get over, like drawing is the one thing I really don't do well. And I, and I work at, I do practice a little to try to do something, but I really can't. And so it, it, it really is about if you take the time to rethink what collage is. So mixed media for me is everything. I can rip out a picture from a magazine or a book. I am not precious about books. And so I sometimes go to the used bookstore. This is one of my favorite things to do. Go to the used bookstore, find a beaten up old art history book something that you're going to pay like $2 for. So it ain't precious, right? And be ready to rip it. Just rip pages from an art history book and start collaging, pasting, gluing, cutting it up, playing with it. Use that William Burroughs technique of cutting up with words and with art and just throw everything in there. And that was the way in for me was just don't buy something that's not precious and tear it up. And I think that just gets you past. I've got to produce something original for the page. No, you don't take, take a, take a, you know, an old photo of a Michelangelo statue or a Matisse painting or a Georgia O'Keeffe or my goddess Frida Kahlo. She just, if you've seen, I have a a facsimile of, of her diary, Frida Kahlo's diary. And it, we think of her as this great artist and she was, but she put a lot of just junk in there. There's just little doodlings and all kind of things. And when you see the practice, the background of somebody that we all revere, there are calendars and posters and Frida Kahlo is everywhere. And you see what she put in her diary. Some of it was just, just little one-off doodlings. And that really, I think inspires me to think outside the box, think outside of my own limitations, because I am a creative and divine Holy Spirit. And that created, there is infinite creativity in the world. So it may as well come through me. Mm, I love that. Oh, I need to sit with that for a second. There is infinite creativity in the world, and it may as well come through me. That's powerful. Oh, and I was just going to sum up, uh, ask you, Infinite is infinite. And it's funny, I was just going to ask you if you could sum up your spirituality right now in one or two sentences, what would it be? And maybe that's it. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely a big part of it is inspiration, right? Which means being in spirit, in the spirit, in the Holy Spirit. That's where that word really comes from. That's the parts of those words is inspired, in spirit. So you just have... (laughs) And I know that there are so many ways into this, but you have to just be open to it all the time. And that's where my meditation practice makes me open to it all the time. Doesn't mean I have a great happy day every day, but I am open 
to what's going to happen every day. And I expect creativity and the divine spirit to show up because it can't do anything but show up. (laughs) That's all it does. Hmm. Do you do anything special during your meditation or prayer practice? Sometimes. Sometimes I just sit, just sit absolutely nothing because it's wonderful to be able to sit in a car when you're waiting for something or, you know, back when we had to wait in line for things in the pre pandemic days, you know, I could meditate anywhere, but I love to sit up here in my study. I have a little rock garden and a little uh, fountain because I like to have some nature and some water. So I have some orchids up here. So I have just a, just a little space. Nobody would even know that's what it is necessarily, it, but it's just a little space and I have a little bench I sit on and, and just listen to the fountain sometimes or, or not turn it on at all. But yeah, I have a little gong and just, I like to enter the space and, and then have a coming back from that. But that meditation practice is what I think keeps me open, you know, at work, at home, wherever I am to observing and responding and co-creating with the divine spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the images that just popped in my head when you were talking about that and the function of that meditative and prayer space is almost like if you clean your kitchen at night before you go to bed and you clean off your kitchen counters and you do the dishes and you clean out your sink and you make sure that everything is open and clear it off and there's not clutter around it. And so then when you need to cook or when you need to do something in your kitchen, there's space for it. And so if you're doing that practice, even if it's just a little bit, like you said, 10 minutes of stillness and quiet and breathing and just being present, I think you do open yourself up to some of that creativity being downloaded or the other things that you want in your life. If it's not creativity, then then maybe it's love, maybe it's connection, maybe it's something else, but you're giving, you're kind of creating a little bit of space inside for it to land yeah. and fill up. So that's, that's yeah, absolutely. That's, just, that's a great metaphor. And I should do more with my kitchen at night because I'm really irked every day when I wake up and I haven't done that myself. So I should take that lesson for the kitchen too. Well, and if you don't do that, then you can use a different metaphor. Yeah, no, I love that. No, And it's so true though, but it's so true. So for you, has there been a, a, an experience or story that you've had that you would say was instrumental or critical in shaping the way you see the divine or your spiritual beliefs right now? Yeah, I do. I have a couple, but I will at least focus on one in particular because it just, it was just extraordinary and and we were lucky to be able to do it a few years ago. So, you know, I've, I am, I used to, I do less now, but I used to, especially, I just loved church. I love church because I love communities of faith. I had to kind of come to that realization that what I really love are communities of faith not so much necessarily a particular church. I have been a very active Southern Baptist. I've been United Methodist. I've been Episcopalian. I've been United Church of Christ. I've been a very active and devoted Catholic. I've been many things. But 
a few years ago, I want to, and I, I looked it up. I think this notebook said 2010. So I think it was in 2010. So 11 years ago. My husband and I just had the good fortune. I had seen this. I bought this for him for Valentine's Day, although the, the trip itself wasn't until May. But the Dalai Lama, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, came to Indiana University because he actually used to have, I think his brother has passed away, but his brother worked at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. I believe this is true. I think you can Google this. There is a big Tibetan cultural center there at the university in Bloomington in Indiana. But his brother, I think, ran a Tibetan restaurant in Bloomington, Indiana. And so his holiness used to come to Bloomington fairly regularly, maybe annually. And he would give a talk often at the Tibetan Cultural Center or at at the university. So he was coming in 2010 to do a three-day workshop on what's called the Heart Sutra. The Heart Sutra in Buddhism is very much akin to the Beatitudes in the Christian scriptures. That is sort of the centerpiece of the Buddhist teaching, much like the Beatitudes are the centerpiece of Jesus Christ's teachings. And much of the three-day workshop was in Tibetan, although he had a translator. Every once in a while, he'd, he'd come out and he'd do something in English for a bit, and then it, it would go to his translator. And it was a, a, an auditorium, kind of like about this, a little bit bigger maybe than about the size of maybe Follinger Auditorium at the University of Illinois. So something, I don't remember the exact size, but it was something like that. So, you, you know, we were in a room with four or 500 other people. It felt like all of those things that the early church followers said about Jesus. He exuded a warmth like no other human I've ever experienced in my life. He taught like we were the only people he'd ever taught, which is just, you know, he's been a global peacemaker and teacher, Nobel Prize winner for years, for decades. He's 89 or some upper 80s now maybe even 90, but his energy and his spirit and the fact that when he was teaching in Tibetan, it was like you could understand what he was saying. I couldn't, I mean, didn't know the words, Mm -hmm. but you could understand it. It was so much what I think it would have been like in the story about, about Jesus in the upper room at Pentecost, that people just understood, right? People just understood the Holy Spirit there with the disciples. And it was, it was like that story. It was like that story. And it was three days of teaching about love and compassion because that's the centerpiece of the heart sutra. And I don't think I've ever had an experience like that. And I've had many mountaintop experiences. I've been on retreats for years and years and years since I was 16 years old. I've been going to, to on retreats, regular retreats, um, spiritual retreats, prayer retreats, writing retreats, but I have never experienced anything as deeply and profoundly spiritual and life transforming as being in the presence with the Dalai Lama, whose laugh is you can't not feel joy just radiating out of every human that's in that room when he laughs. There's nothing like it. I've never experienced anything like it. And it was truly transformative. Wow. He, is, he is a global treasure and a peacemaker and is truly a divine 
creature, no question. Mm. How amazing. Wow. So I know that was, what, 10, 10 years or more. Yeah. Yeah. How did you take something from that experience and incorporate it into your the way that you live your life? Yeah, I do. It was really my husband who started sort of exploring Buddhism on his own. He just he just got interested in in Buddhism for a variety of reasons and really started studying it. And that got us in both interested and that's that's why I, we wound up going to see the Dalai Lama. Um, that's probably when my meditation practice started much more in depth and daily. Uh, it's definitely ways in which Buddhism opened up, I think, avenues in my own Christian background that, that just widened the spectrum. And then, you know, I, I think with the internet, one of the great blessings of the internet is you can't not know, really, unless you're trying not to, you can't not know the scriptures and traditions from other parts of the world. It's amazing to me that I can log on and watch a Hindu service or be a part and I do, I do this sometimes of a, of a Buddhist live sitting group on Friday nights. I mean, that's just amazing to me that we can connect spiritually and know so much more about our Hindu brothers and sisters, our Buddhist brothers and sisters, obviously our Jewish brothers and sisters, Muslim, and everything in between. The Taoists, there's no greater teaching than the Tao. So I think, you know, it just opened me up to global compassion. There is no other path forward for humanity than global compassion. And the teaching from the Dalai Lama and my own study and, and interests have definitely borne that out. So my daily goal is, is compassion and, and you know, meditating to be open to creativity, but a creativity that will allow me to feel compassionate, even in the midst of hate. And in the last few years, that's been, that's been tested. That's been tested. I mean, we just, you know, we're a divided country. We're a divided world. And to have compassion for people who say and do hateful things is super hard. <laughs> it's really hard. It's easy to be compassionate for the people you love. The test is, yes. can you be compassionate mm -hmm. for everybody else? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. For the internet trolls yes. and for your neighbor who maybe you don't even hate them, but you don't like yeah. what they say. Yes. Or the the person who takes all the toilet paper at <laughs> Costco. Or, exactly. yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of room for compassion and it's not just, it's not just this idealistic concept. It's something that you do have to practice and put into play and remember every moment, every, every interaction, you have an opportunity to practice compassion, even to think about like, what did that other person that I'm interacting with, whether it be your coworker, whether it be your family member, whether it be your neighbor, whether it be a stranger, what did that other person have to deal with today, this week, this month, this year in their lives? And how is that, how is that threading through how they're showing up right now? Yeah. And I think that's another piece of 
that's the breath. That's the breath you take before you react to something. And a meditation practice, a daily meditation practice, helps you be able to take that breath. You know, before you react on Facebook to something someone has said, before you snip back at somebody or get angry at somebody who cut you off on the highway, whatever the, the incident is. If you have a daily meditation practice focused on compassion, you become able to take that breath before you react. And I'm not saying I do that successfully all the time. <laughs> I am not saying I do that successfully all the time. Uh, no, I didn't. But yeah. <laughs> that's the goal. And I know when I'm not. I know when I've gotten off track. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I think sometimes we are not self compassionate. And as a recovering perfectionist, if I have to remember that I don't have to do it perfectly every time. And if I'm doing it 30%, if I was doing it 30% before I started learning about my own spirituality, and now I'm doing it 50% or 60%, then that's a win. So yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. think that there's ever an expectation unless we're the Dalai Lama that we are compassionate and doing it all, all the time. Maybe when we're 90 like him. And even the, the <laughs> exact, maybe, but even the Dalai Lama would say he has to practice every day. That's why he has to practice every day because he will have, he, he is just so honest and open that, that you know, that he, he has said, it's not, oh, it's not easy for him either. He, you know, he's exiled, he's been exiled from his home country for his entire adult life. And, so he still has to work at compassion. He knows he does. And it's, that's, that's another thing that just makes him, that's his holiness. That is, that's what makes him holy is he knows it's, there's still work there. There's still work to do there. Mm -hmm. Oh, how beautiful. So how else does your spiritual kind of understanding and your stance right now show up for you and make a difference in your life and your work? I think a lot of it comes out in family. Um, so, you know, is the, one of the other hardest places to be compassionate all the time is obviously in your own home, in your own family. Uh, Brian and I were talking about that the other day, you know, it's, it, it's hard. It can be harder to always try to be kind at home because you're tired. You know, I had to be kind all day to students or be kind all day to colleagues or, you know, and it, it, it's always emphasized at the schools, right? We have that here in Tuscola, Tuscola kindness, be kind, all those things, all those reminders. But that actually is it. I, I hate that we can reduce things to a slogan, uh, but maybe it's not a slogan and it's a mantra. So, for me, what it, where it shows up is be compassionate. Every student, every student who asks me for an extension, every student who who needs something different. I think what I try to do, and, and I think I have been able to do this in my own teaching uh, over the last thirty years. I now, because of practice, I have the ability to listen to every student individually, and depending on how many you know, students are registered, that can be 125 students a semester, you know, with a full, when, when full load and, and when everybody's showing up, registered for Parkland. But yeah, it's, it's that it's being able to identify everyone 
as a creative spirit and a child of the divine, whoever it is, and they are equally divine. And if I can just step back, take a breath, take that breath in that beat and say, just tell me what you need. And you may not get it every time because it may be that right now the most compassionate thing I can do for you is to hold you accountable for a deadline. But it might be that the most compassionate thing I can do is give you 24 hours. It just, but you have, you know, to be able to discern that, that's hard, but that takes practice. And I've been doing it for 30 mm-hmm. years. <laughs> so I feel, I feel more yeah. confident that that, yeah. that, that, bre- that beat and that breath is going to show up when I need it. Mm-hmm. And as you were saying that to me, I think we fixate on what, whatever the right answer should be. And you engaging in that practice of being curious and seeing that person as an individual is actually what the right answer is. And so once you engage with that person, then you will really know what's right for that person, not necessarily right for the situation or the universal right answer, but what's right for that person right then in that moment. But it takes that beat and that pause and that breath to arrive there and be in that place. So what great insight. Because you really have to react, not out of reactivity and automatic reactivity, but you have to see each individual moment as a new opportunity. And that does take a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So shifting gears just a little bit, you tossed out earlier some of your favorite artists and people that inspired you, but is there other authors or works or things that you can share with us that are just inspiring you right now in this season? Oh, Sure. I am always reading about 14 books at any one time and (laughs) never finishing them. Never, never, never. I almost never finish a book. I do, but it it takes a long time because I'm a rabbit hole reader. You know, I'll start reading something and it will spark a curiosity. And then I get, go to another book and another or an article or a piece of art or whatever. And I'm, I'm a rabbit hole reader. So that makes it hard. But I will put in a huge plug for... The woman who I think probably has inspired me through my my entire adult life. I mean, I didn't know who she was until then. Her name's Karen Armstrong. Uh, some listeners may be familiar with her. She is a religious scholar. Her name's pronounced Karen Armstrong, but it's spelled like Karen Armstrong. She's British, scholar of religion, historian, has written a lot about... She wrote a, a book called The Battle for God. She's written about this, the history of the city of Jerusalem. She's written biographies and pieces about the Buddha and Muhammad and Jesus. So she is widely admired and a huge brain. I mean, she is just brilliant. There is nobody, I don't think, maybe besides the Dalai Lama, uh, whom she's met. But she, um, she also started, <laughs> this is way back in the early days of TED, the TED Talks, right? So we're all familiar with TED Talks now. But she was one of the first recipients of the TED Prize in 2008 for starting what she called, they, they granted her a wish. And her wish was to have a charter for compassion. And then in 2009, she got it. And so there's an organization that she founded called the Charter for Compassion. 
and it is one of my favorite organizations. Um, and it, it is just that it's a short, you can watch it online charter for compassion. I think org. I can't remember, but it, it's easy to find. And, and you can watch a little, I'll put a it little in the reading. show notes. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great. You can watch a little two minute reading of it, of all these people from different backgrounds, reading the charter for compassion. It's very short. It's one page, less than a page. It, it does what you would think it would do. But Karen Armstrong has a new book right now, I think called, I forget the name of it, but I think it is, in, oh, The Lost Art of Scripture. And she comes at the Holy Scriptures, many of them, the, the Confucian scriptures, Taoism, Christian scriptures, Jewish scriptures, Buddhist scriptures, reminding us that of two things. One, those are stories and they're not meant to teach us how or what to believe necessarily. They're stories that should impact our lives. And while it is interesting to understand the roots of those stories and understand those stories in their historical context, the reason they're scriptures is because they're meant to be stories that change and evolve with us and continue to teach us how to relate to one another, how to relate to one another in love and compassion. Um, because at the root of all of the scriptures, the Hindu scriptures, the Buddhist scriptures, Christian, Jewish scriptures, Islamic scriptures is, is compassion. It's the golden rule that's at the center of it. How do you treat others the way you want to be treated? And that's kind of the essence of her scholarship and the essence of her work. She grew up Catholic in England, which is fairly rare. And she became a sister. She went, she actually entered a convent, but she had a, unfortunately a, a very bad experience as a religious sister. But ever since then, and I, I think this is true, I don't know that much about her biography, but after that, then she went to Oxford and she became a, a wonderful worldwide, world-known scholar. But she has always lived alone, I think. I think believe this is true because she, for her, access to God, to the divine, to spirit, is through her study. And I was always taught, it you can't study God. You can't, you have to experience experience. And and that's important. And of course I do. And I believe she does. And, and certainly, you know, the experience of being in the room with the Dalai Lama teaches you that there are some things you can't know when you head in your head, you have to experience them. But what I really love about Karen Armstrong is she just allowed me to feel that my work as a scholar, that my love of scholarship, my nerdy little rabbit hole reading that I do that many people make fun of me for because I don't just sit around and read novels. I love novels. They're great. I just don't happen to do that. I like to read medieval history or the, the other pieces that the things that Karen Armstrong has written and other nerdy scholars. And I love that. That jazzes me up. That inspires me. I feel closer to God when I'm researching. And, which to me is a creative act. And the way she talks about her access to the divine and how she feels when she's studying and when she's reading and when she's researching, that inspired me. And I, I thought, you know what? I don't care if people make fun of me anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm a disciple of Karen Armstrong too. So I really love her. I think her, her scholarship <laughs> is brilliant. And uh, you can find her easy on on you know, YouTube too. She's, she gives little talks and things. So yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. I've I've never heard of her and I will definitely look her up and and see what I can learn from her and and all that stuff jazzes me as well. So, it's so much fun to talk with a fellow nerd. Yeah. <laughs> she, she is not for the the light readings. <laughs> she is she's dense, you know. She just she's not mm-hmm. no offense to chicken soup books, but she's not a chicken soup writer. Those are wonderful. <laughs> we need them too. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just not mm-hmm. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. So where do you see the divine as most alive for you right now? Probably uh, I guess I'm to a place where it's everywhere and it's all the time. But I, I guess in this pandemic moment, um, you know, when we, we've been kind of sheltered in place for so long, I really have this symbiotic relationship with my hackberry tree outside of this house. <laughs> we have, you know, it's kind of Disney out here because uh, we all, all of us kind of feed the birds and the squirrels and anything else that shows up. Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, that's nasty little raccoons who want to make a nest in my hackberry tree, and you kind of have to make them go away because they can be kind of bad for the other animals. Uh, but it's it's really in in watching and sitting beneath this huge hackberry tree that that's in my yard and it provides our house with shade. You know, we have nut hatches and goldfinches and lots of cardinals and everything lives and breathes in that hackberry tree and bounces back and forth from the feeders to the hackberry tree. When I try to draw things, I'm always trying to draw this tree, especially in the winter, because I don't have, then I don't have to worry about leaves. Uh, so, <laughs> but it, there's just something nature teaches us better than anything else that we could ever write or draw or do. If you just watch the nuthatches, you know, grab some seed from the bird feeder and go up to the tree and bang it against the tree so they can get the seed out. It, there's just, I don't, there, you know, that whole nature and cycles is where the divine illuminates so much. And then that allows the rest of us to live and breathe and have access to creativity and divine spirit and, and fruit from, from hackberry trees too. Not that we eat the berries, but the birds do. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's just all right there, right? It's just, right there. Just in that small little universe, it's all right there. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. You, you gave us all a lot to think about and a lot of wonderful insight. So what's happening in your life? How, if people want to kind of follow you or read some of your writings or see some of your creativity, how can people find you? Sure. I'm fairly easy to find. You know, I work at Parkland, so it's pretty easy to, to find me there and in terms of emailing or whatever. And and I also have a website, www.thepensivepenny or yeah, thepensivepenny.com. I admit I don't keep up with it as much as I should. I do sort of blog, but I'm not really a fan of blogs. That's why I, I chose Pensive Penny. So it's it's meant to sort of play on, and it's Penny, P-E-N-N-E. It's meant to play on um, Pascal's Ponce's. So pensive, pensées, thoughts. So I I like just thoughts. And so you can also find a list of things uh, that I've published there. I've got some poems and essays and a podcast on on The Drunken Odyssey, which is a a podcast that I love. It's It's a writing podcast, John King's Drunken Odyssey. It's fun. 
yeah, so so my work is there. Uh, it's pretty easy to find me there too, and that, that has a link to my Twitters and Instagram and all those all those places. As a writer, <laughs> you know, you just you do you really. I was at AWP, the Association for Writers and Writing Programs, a couple weeks ago. At it was online, but I was at it, and I went to sessions about publishing and and all of those things. And boy, you they really do. Publishers expect you you have to self promote. It feels ooky. I really think as a writer, it just feels ooky to say, hey, go read my things. But that's what's expected. And you have to have a platform and, you know, you get kind of past it. You just have to get past it and say, hey, you know, this is my work and I'm proud of it. I hope somebody will engage with it. If not, I I don't have to be attached to it because I can just laugh like the Dalai Lama and Mm -hmm. it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have uh, something coming out soon? I do. I have something being published. I do have an essay coming out soon through the Midwest Writing Center, which is up in the Quad Cities. It's an essay called Exit 212, a high bun essay of comfort food. I actually workshopped during this pandemic. I decided to take a lot of writing classes online because they were online. So I workshopped a piece that started out as a humor piece in one class, and then it was a poem, and then it shifted to a food writing piece in another class. And then I saw this call in the Midwest Writing Center's anthology. I think it's called In These Interesting Times, These Interesting Times. And it's going to be an anthology of 2020 experiences. And um, so, yeah, it's an essay about that's our exit. Our exit number here in Tuscola is Exit 212. So and I a lot of things that I write have the theme of Exit 212 in them because we are a small town, kind of a truck, you know, we're a truck stop town. And so I like that theme to me is really interesting that we we see things going up and down 57. And so, yeah, so it's, a, it's an essay. It's a fun essay, uh, but it's got some poignant moments too. So yeah, that'll be posted on my website when that comes out as well. People can access that and read it. Yeah, we'll definitely put a link to that so people can see or read and engage with some of your work. So anything else you want to share with us? Not really. Uh, you know, hope all listeners who are thinking about creativity and, and, you know, I wonder if I can learn to do this, that, or the other. I just want to explore. You know, I do encourage people to take a class or two at Parkland, take them through community ed or, or take one of our classes. You know, if you want to just find out, can I do music recording? Uh, is it fun? Could I be good at it? Can I draw? Can I paint? Can I, you know, take a speech class or just something you want to get better at? You don't have to, you don't have to come to Parkland to get a degree though. Of course, we, we encourage everybody who wants to do that, to do that. And then transfer on. But yeah, come come explore. I think our community ed classes and our our courses give you a chance, get, especially young people who may not have had access, you know, kids who, who go to, you know, an urban school or some of the rural kids out here near where I live, who, where we've lost arts and cra- arts classes, even shop classes. I really encourage people, you know, think about your local community college wherever you are, but you know, I'm an employee of Parkland and I love Parkland and it's a great place to just come and explore. And it, and it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg and you can take things past fail or you can take them for non-credit so that you don't, it's just a place and a space for somebody to help you move along the path and see if you can find more aspects of yourself you want to explore. So I really encourage that. Mm. 
Well, that's awesome. And you all have a podcast you're working on too, right? Yeah, we have a about we have creativity. A yeah, well, we're working on a little sort of show um, that we're kind of, I don't know if it'll, it's going to be like a social media show. I'm not sure yet. But Parkland also has a podcast, a Parkland Hour, that I've actually been on that as well. And uh, we're... Our president talks to some different faculty and, and talent around Parkland, so you can get to know that as well. So, yeah, we have a little show that we're working on called MADE, M-A-D-E, uh, that's going to focus on creativity and creative people and spaces in the Champaign-Urbana area. So, yeah, that, that's start that's coming up, too. We're still working on that. Uh, uh, our videographer, Mike Coulter, one of our videographers, is a huge talent and has, is, is hysterical. He's been a comedian. He's a brilliant artist himself and a writer and connected to so many people in this Champaign-Urbana area and music. And uh, so, yeah, it's just been fun kind of working with him and seeing where that goes. Yeah, that's incredible. And there is so much creativity in this area. And I think anything that we can do to elevate it and showcase it and share it and be generative and co-create I think that's that's wonderful. So thank yeah. you for sharing your time and and your insight. And I just really I I love talking with you, Amy. So thank you. Um, I do too, Kelly. You. I love it. I love it. I love that we connected at a coffee <laughs> shop and it and we've and we've just kind of stayed in touch. And your work with Soul Care is just brilliant. You're it's just genius what you're doing in town. And we could not be more grateful for, well, for the way you're sharing your spirit. Thank you. And uh, bye now. Bye. Don't forget. You can get links to all the juicy stuff Amy and I talked about on the Soul Care website at experiencesoulcare.com. And if you liked listening to my conversation with Amy and you want to hear more local folks talking about the intersection of faith, spirituality, and daily life, won't you subscribe to Everything is Spiritual on your favorite podcast platform? I'm just super excited about what we're doing on this podcast and want to get the word out about it to the East Central Illinois community. If you like what you hear, won't you tell a friend or share about this episode on social media? And if you really like it and you're an iPhone user, you could help us promote the show by taking a minute to leave a comment or give a four-star rating on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. I hope you have a blessed day and I look forward to you joining me next week. Thank you for listening to Everything is Spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul. Tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation. Or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, renew, and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table and everyone is welcome. Until next week, be well.